As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Lena Van Deventer, current creative producer and writer at Ruben Games. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Lena. How are you? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Um, we've been back and forth a little bit lately, but we've both been knocked over with all sorts of horrible illnesses and our voices have been in and out. And Well, we've yeah. finally both recovered to a point now where we can actually chat. So it's, it's awesome to do so. Thanks for coming Thank aboard. You. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was, I was sounding all gluey and nasal last week, so it was good for us to bump it for a little bit. Yeah, we made it work. And <laughs> I mean, you do what you got to do, right? It's an audio show. We can't we can't have horrible voices or no voices at all, can we? Exactly, exactly. We've got to try at least to sound yeah. vaguely human. Vaguely human. <laughs> so this is Dev Diary, a series we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. But before we get to some of your really awesome work within the industry, hands-on with games and on the on the outside and some of the awesome initiatives that you're a part of there as well, I'd love to rewind to a point before all of that and just talk about some of your early experiences with games. Do you happen to recall what the first game was that you ever played or even some of the first games were that you played? Ooh, I don't know what the very, very first one would have been, but I've sort of lumped them all together in a category of sort of my early ones. Um, it would have been probably Commander Keen. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, back when. Um, and then some... Sega games on the Neighbours Master System. And then I got an NES. And then it was all over Red Rover. Um, <laughs> and we had, uh, I grew up on a court with lots of families and lots of kids. And yeah. we all had a different console, which um, we should have Helps. planned that better. We should have had the same console and just got more games. But we <laughs> well, <laughs> instead guess... we got to play a bit of everything. Yeah, exactly. I think there's pros and cons to both, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that was good. That was, um, I was born the same year as Mario. Um, so I feel like we've been bonding for even before I even knew who he was, we were bonded in some way. And so you just can't wait to, to go see the Mario movie in, in cinemas and catch Chris Pratt playing Mario then, right? <sighs> sure. <laughs> if, uh, if, <laughs> if this was a video show, people would have gotten expressions from the both of us there that would have told you everything you need to know about our thoughts on the Mario movie. Yep. But uh, how did things develop taste-wise from there? Were there any particular franchises, genres, individual titles that really caught your attention as you as you grew up? Um, I'm an only child, so most of the things that you know weren't couch co-op because I couldn't you know necessarily do them all the time. I had to you know wait for my neighbor friends to come over and everything. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed trivia stuff. Like you don't know Jack back when that first, that came oh, out yeah. on like CD-ROM um, back in the day. Came in with like a magazine or something, or maybe the guy who installed Windows on our computer. Like Just another game in the Nutrigrain box, right? Yeah, <laughs> lent us a copy, a very, legit, very, you know, very legal copy, I'm sure. Um, I really enjoyed those ones that made you sort of feel smarter walking away from them. So um, 
Very good. Yeah, lots of single player stuff. Lots of um, lots of things that I could tell mum were like improving her child in some way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a handy way to justify a continued gameplay is if if yeah. you can pitch it that you know I'm learning something out of this too, or I'm improving my reading, or whatever the case happens to be, or Zumbini's yeah. are cute and I want to make a pizza with them. Yeah, exactly. So I would I would um, go in and into the books and the encyclopedias and learn a bunch of stuff, and then I would tell mum that I got it from a video game. <laughs> that works. Actually, and then look, I, I tried to pull a similar stunt with Mario's Time Machine back in the day, which was a really awful SNES game. Yeah, I think it was a Super Nintendo title. And like, but Mario would go back through the past, and there was all sorts of historical things. I'm like, I can justify this one pretty easily. Yeah, it's history, Mum. Yeah. Don't you want me to know history? Through exactly. the lens of a Italian plumber <laughs> that jumps on Goombas, and they're they're real too. Don't worry. Yeah, and. Rides a dinosaur that eats eggs. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Was there a a game or even a collection of experiences over the journey that you feel like was important to your own pursuit to getting into development at all? Or getting into the industry in some way, I suppose? That's a really good question. I think... Oh. Yeah, I think the Monkey Island games made me realise that it was more writing than I thought. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a writer. I always considered myself a poet from an obnoxiously young age. Um, and now I know better. <laughs> I'm a terrible poet. Um, but I think just the the quips and the wordplay and also like You Don't Know Jack and like the funny jokes that Cookie Masterson would make um, really made me think it was sort of a rich text, you know? It was really, it was this this whole new world of communicating in this really modern way that um, that felt really sort of American to me. Yeah, okay. I don't know that's strange, but sort of like the New Yorker. I was obsessed with the New Yorker as a kid. The New Yorker and and this sort of American novel style of writing um, was something I was always really drawn to. And we got The Simpsons, and we got you know a lot of American movies and stuff here, but it was all not as American-ish as you'd expect felt yeah mm. they were kind of rebelling against the american thing and that's why they were funny right the simpsons yeah. is kind of lampooning itself and lampooning america oh, a bit yeah at so, every opportunity like, oh yeah as they should yeah um that's the sign of a healthy democracy but um yeah the, the they made me realize that the writing was really rich and could be really exciting and that wouldn't it be fun to write like that um i never really wanted to be in a tv writer's room um or or doing script writing as such um movies i was like yeah hmm. but this was different yeah this felt a bit more boundless you didn't have like a set of rules i thought at the time (laughs) i was wrong but you didn't have like a set of rules like script writing where everything had to be you know you had to have your whole degree to learn how to set it out and format it and all this and i just felt like it was a bit more freeing um at the time, yeah. So that did it did draw me to it, those early formative moments for sure. Now we're obviously talking about kind of writing in this instance for games and, you know, kind of the comparisons between that and other visual forms of media, but was there, mm-hmm. and obviously you referenced the, the the childish kind of thoughts of being a poet there and that sort of thing, but <laughs> did you entertain other forms of writing, whether it was, you know, fiction, non-fiction, like actually, I guess, the more traditional writing for books and those sorts of things at that sort of stage, or did you have the eyes on the... I guess the more video gamey entertainment sort of prize. 
No, I um I definitely had novels and and fiction and did all sorts. I actually kept a diary for a few years that was completely imaginary. It wasn't like right. none of it real, and I was writing it like it was mine. And I I found that very creative. <laughs> Mum didn't. She read some stuff and went, "What the hell? Oh my god, this happened!" I was like, "No, no, made it all up. <laughs> it's not made real. It all up. Eyes bulging, panicking." <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I was holding it for a friend. Yeah, um, so I feel like that sort of creative outlet was always there. Um, I had no idea I could actually write for video games. I just thought it was cool. Yeah, at that age, well, at that, presumably we're a little about, bit of that thing too. Like, we don't really know what the industry is like here. All of those sorts of things that so many have kind of, and obviously the industry has changed so much these days. Especially the the importance of the internet kind of really opening up all of our eyes to just how widespread the development scene is but mm-hmm. i'm sure there was certainly that point like many others over the journey like, well, if i want to get involved in games i have to go to america or i have to go to japan or you know the places that were forever associated with that's where video games come from yeah definitely yeah i just didn't think it would even be a thing here and yeah i i would see in the news agent you know these magazines about video games and I was like oh my god you know and there were journalists who only covered video games you know and I would read it and be like this is so huge you know this is way bigger than I thought it was and that was very exciting yeah the old days of finding hyper or whatever sitting on the shelf yeah sorry that was was kind of my yeah I saw an edge today and I flicked it open and there were no bylines in like the front page I remembered when it was yeah it was a really big deal to like flip it open and see who'd written in there that week you know yeah yeah we're just yeah, they, they just kind of had what the section was about, but only some of the authors were mentioned. I was like, oh, man, that is a really cool part of, you know, checking just out the game. Just down to business these days. Yeah, I guess they have to be. No, no print media has money anymore, so, you know, it's very challenging for them, I know. But and it's no a shame. Shame. They're doing their best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so then how did opportunities first start to emerge for you? I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a list of different things here from a senior copywriter on Run the Town for, you know, iOS title. There's Tin Man Games. There's plenty more that we'll talk about shortly. But like, mm-hmm. I guess, how did the, the journey lead from some of these aspirations that we were talking about through to actually getting involved? Well, I originally wanted to write about games, um, I think, to make sense of them a bit more. I think it was sort yep. of my way of wanting to learn about the ins and the outs of them in a bit more detail because I didn't think um, that I could go and learn that, you know, in a formal education setting. Um, but I got really, and so I did blog for a bit and I, you know, I've got my byline in a few places, but um, not in any kind of serious journalistic kind of endeavor. Yeah. Because um, I got really jealous of all these people I was writing about. I was like, oh, you get to do this cool thing and you're like jaded. And like being a little ungrateful. And I was like, that's not cool. And now I get it. I'm totally, you know, no shade at all. But um, I I was really jealous of them and thought, well, I can do that. Why can't I do that instead of this? You know, that looks more fun um, and more challenging and, you know, sort of boundless in that way, like I was saying before, that still made me attracted to it as as a kid. Um, And I asked around, I'd met a lot of indies. I'd covered indies for a while and I met a lot of them and had, you know, sort of inroads in that community. Um, and I just asked around, you know, does anyone need any editing or anything that, you know, my skill set could lend itself to? And Neil Renison of Tin Man Games yes. said... Fantastic yes. former guest, by the way. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dev Diary's own Neil Renison. 
Um, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to quite go that far, but yes, I guess you're technically right. <laughs> he um, he said, actually, yeah, I need someone to edit um, the latest Jonathan Green game book. And that was Temple of the Spider God. And that was the first game that I worked on in earnest. Um, and that was life-changing. I thought that was just the coolest thing in the whole world to sort of be just doing the logic like that editing. For yeah, doing the logic editing as well as the copy editing. So it wasn't just the grammar and, you know, how many times are you allowed to use the word mandibles until we have to find a synonym, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> of which there are none. There are none. I looked, I was like, God, he says mandibles every five minutes. We have to think of something else. There's no substitute for a good mandible. You just can't, you just can't be done. So yeah, not without uh, resorting to really basic language that is suddenly yeah. no longer additive to the experience. No, I think I, I might have gotten away with replacing one of them to be like pincers or something like that. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's getting way back when. That's like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, that was really formative because the logic editing was what really blew my brain. I sort of saw how they were made and all the different permeations of, you know, how the player could go through this story and how you have to modulate everything into separate encounters that can be approached in any order. And still make it all make sense you know you sort of have to divorce yourself from the linear and the this happens and this happens and this happens of the plot which we're all raised with we're all raised believing there's a beginning middle and an end and you know there's all these sort of really restrictive ways of viewing story yes and i felt it was really freeing and i was just i was hooked after that so i just kept asking everyone for a good you know five years after that anyone got any work for me anyone got any work for me um and then People just kept saying yes, thankfully. I was very lucky. I put my net out and did absolutely every job that came back, <laughs> for better or worse. I mean, it's pretty – like, and that's, I guess, one of the great things about our local scene. I don't just exclusively mean kind of Melbourne, Victoria, which mm. you know, we've, we both personally have little biases towards being being locals ourselves, but even just the Australian gaming community, development community, full stop, is – is fantastic like that there's there's so many networking opportunities i've had a few episodes recently with several people from up in queensland and they're talking about i mean the the rapid growth that we're seeing up there at the moment and more mm. and more incredible titles coming out and there's just this unbelievably collaborative industry that we're in which i mean there's a bit of that by nature within your own team but just how fluid things are between teams and sharing resources sharing knowledge um being so willing to give people opportunities when for want of a better phrase, they don't necessarily have the credits in the bank just yet, but mm. you, you kind of, and again, not the best sort of language, but you, you throw people a bone and that sort of thing. And it's just, yeah. we're, we're so invite. I say we, sorry, I'm not part of the development scene, The but the scene is so inviting in that, in that mm. sense. It's fantastic. And you yeah. clearly reap the benefits as well. I did. I did. I was very lucky and I had a bunch of really good experiences um, and, you know, still have really good relationships with everyone I've worked with. Um, and that's, that's a blessing, you know, that's how you get longevity, right? You can't, you can't keep doing that kind of thing, putting the net out and getting work back. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, everyone's getting what they need out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. and then obviously it gets to a point where you've kind of established yourself and this is the same for anyone, of course, you, you get to a point where you've established yourself and then there's opportunities to provide others those same sorts of opportunities. So it's, it's very cyclical like that. That's fantastic when we see it happening in this space so often yeah it is good it's very heartwarming when when things can get rough it's a it's a good thing to remind ourselves of to see 
you know, that was that Mr. Rogers said, whenever there's a crisis, look for the helpers. And that's how yes. you can explain, you know, difficult situations to small children as well. I feel like it's it's really good advice, even for grown-ups, to just look for the helpers, look for the people who are helping whenever anything feels a bit heavy. Yeah, and it mm. usually works out pretty well. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, obviously, those are some of the earlier stages there. And again, I mentioned there's, there's Run That Town as well on iOS. There's a Twists and Turns app that you were a part of as well. Like lots yep. of uh, lots of really cool early projects that you were part of. Like, what do you think of when you think back on that time these days? Um, it was a and whirlwind. obviously there was Game Book Adventures a part of that too, of course. Yeah, yeah, it was a whirlwind. It was um, Run That Town was a uh, a collaboration between the Australian Bureau of Statistics and Leo Burnett Sydney, um, and Millipede Creative, and they all worked together to make this. Sydney building sim that was based on your actual postcode data. So you would put your postcode in it and then it would, the demographics would be reflective of your actual community. And so you'd put in a skate park. And if you're, you know, if your community, if your postcode is, has a lot of elderly people in it, probably not a wise decision to spend all the town's money on a skate park, for example. Um, And it was just sort of, you know, this huge sprawling thing and Sean McAuliffe was the voiceover for it. And it was just, it was a huge, huge project with um, so much data and so much copywriting to do um, that it was just absolutely thrilling. And to be um, doing that kind of work and then to be doing the Twists and Turns app as well, which was, um, it's kind of like a golden age of mobile in a way, because we were seeing what we could do with these things, you know, yeah, when it sort of started out. Yeah, that um, early 2010s sort of period and you can really start to bend and mould these platforms into something quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Twists and Turns was for the Melbourne Writers' Festival in 2017, I think. Maybe 2016 even. Gosh, maybe even 2015. <gasps> I don't even know my own career. Um, that's bad. Uh, <laughs> don't expect the... you to know a blow-by-blow year after year. Well, the writers on for. It was, it was the yellow year. So I think it might have been Lisa Dempster's last year as director would have been it yeah um so that that's all i know i don't remember the years i just know who was who was the director at the time (laughs) and and the marketing um that was uh choose your own adventure stories um geo tag to the laneways of melbourne so um instead of turn to page three to turn left you actually walk left down the laneway and you'll hear a different bit of story um, so that was really fun to, that was, I was on that as a narrative consultant, not as a writer, um, to sort of help these established authors from the Writers' Festival try this new way of telling a story. And they had the best time and it was just really invigorating to sort of help them through that process and watch watch their brains kind of break and then rebuild yeah. again. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a really yeah. cool concept. I, I guess both yeah. that and, and Run That Town, like the mm-hmm. the interaction with the real world there in in really cool ways and I mean look I, I remember hearing about Twists and Turns at the at the time and mm. I, I couldn't tell you if I actually jumped in at the time but like I like I remembered hearing about the concept and yeah kind of how it interacted with the city that I live in that I know quite well and yeah it was it was a really fascinating idea in terms of well I can interact with this place in a whole new way mm. yeah it was it was just a really cool project to be a part of so yeah, it was those early projects um, just taught me a lot about collaboration and about how 
siloed writers can be sometimes from the whole process and how that's a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Um, you know, with Tin Man, obviously, it's really narrative heavy, so the writers are front and center for, you know, almost the whole process. Um, but for things like Twists and Turns and Run That Town, it's like we we punch in and we punch out and we're not there for the design. Entire, we're not yeah. There for the, yeah, we're not there for the end. Um, so sort of got a bit jealous of people that got to be sort of in-house in one job for a long yeah. time watching that the whole status yeah the whole the whole dev cycle from start to finish um because that freelancing was rough yeah it's yeah i mean i think like in any exhausting. industry not having something solid i guess mm. consistent reliable that's always a a scary pro- uh, prospect because you never know when that's going to end yeah exactly and it's it's like projects that come along that you're right for that think you're right for them as well are not going to line up that one finishes and two weeks later the next one starts you know so yeah. it's it's as well like the timing of things is is you either decided to go a few months without work or there was overlap and you were absolutely overworked and you know having a really difficult time so it was it was a really stressful kind of thing to maintain hmm. And all the while in and around this period, there's there's some uh, sessional lecturing and tutoring that you're doing for Swinburne as well. Yes. So I guess and... I guess we spoke before about giving back. Well, here's one of those kind of first instances of that. Well, that's that's the thing. It's it's not. I didn't volunteer my time. I was paid, but yeah, it was. Well, yes, but it's still yeah. Yeah, I taught at Swinburne, RMIT, and the VCA for a bit as well, um, over about six years at university. So that was um, that was really amazing in terms of my own um brain power (laughs) um i feel like a really really good way to make sure you know something well is to try and teach it because you'll call yourself on your own bullshit (laughs) mid-sentence and you'll um you know challenge a regularly face (laughs) good that means you're a grown-up um if you didn't do that that would be bad uh tell my wife that now and she'll usher me (laughs) off to my room and (laughs) congratulations paul um, yeah, I think having to study it and to be on top of it in that kind of way that, that you're um, having to explain it to other people is a really solid way of of getting really good at what you do really quickly, I think. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I guess, really wading kind of deep into, I guess, the teaching perspective on, on kind of my side and in, you know, working in high schools and those sort of things is... The, the sort of messaging we deliver to again I'm high school but uh, to any of the students is like that final step in term, in terms of consolidating your own understanding is being able to explain it to someone else if you can do yeah. that and if you can kind of teach someone else whether it's maybe just someone in your class that's struggling even if it's a little sibling you're able to explain this concept to them like that's that one of you're not going to go so definitive to say you've now mastered this thing 100% tick off you go no. But that is one of those final steps on the way to mastery there is being able to present this thing to someone else and help them also understand. That's It's that consolidation of your own understanding and something that I still get even to this day, even though I know the content that I teach, it's the there's that element of learning other ways to pre- uh, present it. It's knowing the, the people in front of you and how what works for them, what doesn't. You learn little tricks along the way that kind of help you tweak what you're doing, tweak something that is, in my case, maths is very one way it's very black and white one way or the highway that sort of thing but there's ways you can better your own understanding 
by teaching in other ways and that's dictated by the others around you so it's it's really fan it's really fantastic to do and i'm glad you yeah. yourself got an opportunity to do that as well yeah me too and i always said that um when i start learning less than the students is when i'll stop yep. yeah and i unfortunately covid ate my subject just before i got the chance to do that but i was pretty damn close i was thinking about stopping so that was okay <laughs> well things lined up nicely then i guess they did sense. they did I mean, outside mm. of the fact that the thing that kind of brought everything to a screeching halt was a horrible pandemic. But, yeah, um, that, that's not a good thing. But the rest, and, you know, not getting the pay packet anymore. I miss that. But yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that good, to be honest, though. But, you know, it was it was something. Yeah. Money in the and bank account, right? Was, through, those free, <laughs> through those freelance years, it was um, so the only constant as well. So that was, yeah. it was a big deal, the money at the time. But, um, yeah, I... I really really appreciate that time and it also taught me um some really good like on the ground techniques for different personality types and yep. different learning difficulties you know and accommodating those things and i think that's made me a better producer now yeah for sure yeah i'd imagine yeah i mean obviously you're working in in that role you're working a whole bunch of different sorry working with a whole bunch of different people and coming from different backgrounds and experiences and and again there's yeah the learning types component to it as well so it's all really valuable experience. Definitely. Yeah. I, I if anyone has the chance to teach, I if you're if you have the right temperament for it, not if you can know you're gonna be bad at it. Please do um, it. We're so desperate right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I just let that slip out. Go get your dip bed right now. Yeah, please do it. <laughs> go on holiday. <laughs> oh. Yep. COVID's just destroying us, but anyway. Yeah. It is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I'll send you a but, hamper. But to, to the point that we were making the more serious earnest side and that's not the save Paul who's dying perspective right? it is it is so great to be a part of that kind of again that sharing process and learning about others and it really mm. makes you value some things that perhaps you didn't even not that you were insensitive and didn't value before but that you didn't know the things you don't notice sometimes or recognize yeah, well, you or understand you yeah. yeah yeah you don't know if you don't know now, continuing this this kind of trend of of giving back and and assisting others and help building others up, there's the Acme Curational Advisory Group that you were part of there, uh, the Codebreakers yeah. Women in Games initiative as well, mm -hmm. which is I mean something still to this day. Obviously, you know, in terms of what you're doing for for women within the within the scene, um, is so incredible and just doing such a great job. But that's I guess in terms of more formal capacity, that's one of the first. I guess credits or one of the, the kind of the real starting points there. What was that like to be a part of and to, to build up and how's that led to kind of where things are at today in, in your work in that space? Um, ooh, that's and it's hard. such a, it's such a broad topic. Like you're doing, I mean, you know, me pumping you up here, but you're doing so many incredible things and you're, you're very outspoken in that space and not in a bad way. Um, like doing some <laughs> wonderful, wonderful things and like, you know, Every every industry needs more people doing what you're doing, but I guess I'm yeah, really fascinated. Kind of well, now, I'm embarrassed. Where 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 all that started, I suppose, and in terms of actually formally getting involved. Um, oh gosh, okay. So I've always been. Are we allowed to swear? I already did swear, didn't I? Go. For, go oh, I don't think you did. Well, if you did, it slipped past me. But yes, you can swear as much as you like. I've always been a lippy bitch. Um, <laughs> oh, is that all? Yeah, oh, yeah. don't stress about that. Um, but, uh, Apple think... won't even pick that one up. <laughs> Good. Um, I, I think 
I think I've I've always been a bit of a loudmouth feminist. Um and that wasn't good for my career early on. That was quite um difficult and not appreciated by a lot of a lot of people. Um but then um, on on I mean I, I can imagine certainly one demographic or certain mm. parts of one demographic that wouldn't be too keen on that. But I mean was there a little bit on on both sides of the fence or uh, it was everywhere. Yeah, there was. There's yeah. still to this day. There's people who can't stand me, and that's fine. I'm not for everyone, and I don't want to be because I don't like everyone. So I don't expect everyone to like me. Um, but I think it's it's definitely a, a a part of who I am, and it's not something I can really turn off. I, I want things yeah. to be fairer. I demand things be fairer. Um, I I don't think um, I don't think it's good enough to be, you know a male dominated industry for this long, yes. um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that what I started out doing was just getting sort of a girl gang together on Facebook. And I, uh, co-founded with Leah Clark, um, in 2013, this group called widget. And it was meant to be sort of like a riot girl kind of vibe. Um, so we're trying to share like punk memes and, and make zines and, you know, do all yeah. this like, fun, rebellious stuff about, like, fuck the man, you know? Like, all this really a, right. A little bit more on the edgy side, I guess. But... Yeah, a bit more on the edgy side. Um, a lot of the women in games stuff that was popping up around the time was sort of corporate-ish um, and a bit of a different vibe than what I wanted to do because I didn't – I knew I couldn't work in those spaces. I can't, you know, I can't do – I can't do that kind of speak. I can't circle back. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, no, you know, I can't do all these, you know, these buzzwords and stuff. I'm more about like, well, what if we just burn it all down? Like, you know, so that I'm more the right girl persuasion than anything else. Um, so we made this group, and from there, um, we got about 900 members. Um, when I finished up there, and that was almost as many people as were working full time in the games industry in our entire country. So there was, you know, definitely a need for it because, um, soon after we set it up. Gamergate happened and oh. women knew they needed more support. Um, and it was made really like explicit that we needed that support and we need it quick. Um, and so we sort of hit the ground running with that. And I think out of that, um, you know, the, the media stuff we did and the talking to people and, and other people saying, Hey, have you heard about this group? They help and blah, blah, blah. Uh, then Acme turned around and said, um, we need someone to put together a list of like badass game devs <laughs> for us kind to of formalize things somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. sort of like to show, um, you know, little girls and, and other women and, and everyone, excuse me, um, sort of what they can be, you know, that whole thing. If you can't yeah. see it, you can't be it. Um, and that was just great. That was with Helen Stuckey and Kate and Abenay as well in that we were the curatorial advisory committee there on that exhibition. And it was just wonderful to, make something like that to sit like what a cool way to go to work we got to go into these boardrooms with like all these higher-ups at acme and talk about how cool someone was for like a good yeah. like half an hour each you know <laughs> and go here's why this person is amazing and like you're just gassing them up and they weren't even there and it was just this like this really it's, fun it's like how a fandom normally works like about fictitious things <laughs> only we get to do it about really awesome sorry i just said we but you know you know what i mean like yeah the group gets to do it about just really awesome people that are here 
in the community. Yeah, well, I've I'd come straight out of so much like press and media stuff about Gamergate and about the book that I wrote with Dan Golding about Gamergate. Um, and everyone's saying that there's no women, there's no women, there's no women. And then to go straight from that into actually there's heaps and they're badasses. Like they're really, really good at their job. And here's what they've been working on. And like to actually point people towards towards that in response was really, really powerful. That's that's fantastic. And mm-hmm. and obviously, yeah, I mean, you've been a massive force in, in everything that's gone, in, gone on in that space since really. I mean... We, yeah we touched on acme there's i flipped the page to my notes because i credited all this and like there's the, the next gen leaders uh program coordinator for the igda there's mm-hmm. uh which is obviously representing um and retaining up underrepresented minorities there there's um oh, obviously oh, sorry we touched on widget already but like there's there's several different things there that you've been involved with since and mm-hmm. e- even on the uh, the more day-to-day sort of more public sort of space how you even just project yourself online through things like Twitter as well. Oh God, no! I'm which, so tweets. <laughs> I mean, look, what? Twitter can be a cesspool at times, but you're still this positive force out there. Where the the things that you're saying, I again, like, I guess I'm in this privileged position, you know, straight white dude, and all those sorts of things. But for for anyone who has, and obviously you said it yourself, like it's it was the man's business for all this time. And for anyone who's, I guess not been in that sort of position and has kind of felt as though how can I crack it here like is there a space for me you are consistently proving time and time again that there is and it's there's actually way more people like you out there than than perhaps you ever realized and they're all incredibly supportive and they all want the best for you and they want you to be part of what is being built here and I you know yes there's the these big formalized programs that you've been a part of and they, they're fantastic but and obviously, you know, carry huge importance and sway, but even some of those day-to-day things and just from, from the, I mean, you said, what was, what was your, I don't know, like you're, you're very loud and outspoken, those sort of things, but just <laughs> calling people out on their, their bullshit sometimes is, is just as important. If, yeah, it feels like it sometimes, but also, you know, I do have to lend a bride a little, little bit um, for it to be actually meaningful. Well, there's balance. Yeah, there's, there's balance to everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Can't just be like a firework that's fallen over. Like you do have to actually strategize. What a way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's my work with the Victorian Women's Trust as well. I'm on the board of directors with them. Um, that they've really helped me sort of temper that anger and that yeah. rage into something that can be a bit more constructive. And it's a daily struggle, I tell you. Like I'm not perfect at it by any stretch. Sometimes I just have a, a nutty online and like that's oh someone says something at the wrong time and boom that's it you're the target (laughs) sometimes i'm out of line and that's like because i'm a person like i'm not perfect and and no one is and the idea that you can't do any good unless you're like you know doing all these things that are right on and everything is just like pretty big shoes to fill and a bit unkind and if if i can make if i can normalize being a little bit of a mess and also try and do some good where you can then that if that's my legacy, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mm. we can't be 100% on all the time and yeah. again, showing that mistakes happen or sometimes we get carried away or whatever the case is is just as important, especially yeah. when you respond to that. Like, how, It's how you respond to that and in, in any instance, regardless of who you are. It's how you respond to yeah, maybe biting off too much or whatever the case is that's just as important as what you the messages you're trying to send 
in for starters, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I guess I mean I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but we've got uh, there's some work there with uh, City of Melbourne on the Sanders Little Helper app, which uh, which was an AR thing there, the AR installs that you had going. Uh, there was uh, lecturing for VU as well, uh, or Victoria University for anyone interstate or international that. No, no. Oh, okay, I must. <laughs> I must have, they, that one must have slipped in somewhere. Along the way. Okay, screwed that one up in my notes. Oh damn. Um, but I mean, and there's lecturing for RMIT though, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe I blended something in there by mistake because I've got that one listed as well. So I mean, again, this is kind of continuing this trend of of giving back um and and sharing the knowledge and insights that you've picked up along the way so i mean what have been some of those experiences been like as well i guess i've just bundled developing an ar game and educating at the same time but um yeah similar to the... feel free to treat them separately <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is sort of a holistic thing they are kind of linked in a way because um oh that's totally what i meant then yeah yeah <laughs> so what <laughs> Um, yeah, like the whole idea of wanting to help other people alongside you and bring people up with you and stuff is definitely, um, sort of a philosophy behind most of the things I do. So that, that yeah. crosses over between advocacy and volunteer work, paid work, all of it. Yeah. So, um, the AR stuff was fun. It was, it was amazing to watch kids like play with it in the streets, you know, um, yeah. that was really cool. It brought like sort of a physicality to my work that I hadn't seen done before, which was really nice. Um, but again, I wasn't as hands-on as I was kind of craving to be at that point. So yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it, it's just the nature of the work. It's not that anyone did anything bad. They were beautiful people to work with. Um, but it's it can get lonely, you know, doing this kind of gig work. Yeah. Yeah, um, a little bit of that freelancey sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm not doing it anymore, thankfully. But um, yeah, it was it it's rough being being a writer. <laughs> because, you know, for all the obvious stuff aside that we're just insufferable and, you know, feel things better than everyone else. Um and bigger and harder than everyone else. Um <laughs> just ask TikTok, yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, you know, it it it's um it's a lonely road and I think that also means that I'm getting something out of helping other people too, right? Because we're sort of in it together and like, it's less lonely. And yeah. I feel like the first thing you can do when things are getting lonely or hard is to sort of gather your people. And um, that was, it helped all of us. It wasn't all self, like selfless. Some of it was like mutually beneficial. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's only, yeah, there's only so much that anyone same. can give without, <laughs> I guess, taking a little bit back. And again, yeah. regardless of what it is that you're trying to put out there. So yeah. That's awesome. But uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, it's, uh, there's only so long that you can kind of do those sorts of things and it wears you down. It can be a bit of a lonely place. And then I guess we flash forward to today where you've got Ruben Games, you've got Dead Static Drive, there's Mike. Like, how, how did all of this come about in the first place? Oh, it's the best job. This is, this is the best one out of all of them. They were all good for all their different ways. But this one is uh, finally here. It feels like I finally got the dream to dream gig. Yeah, the dream gig. Um, so I was, um, my marriage was ending, um, and I was freelancing still and I sort of got a bit of a fright there cause I was like, Oh crap, I gotta do this by myself soon. <laughs> so, um, I quickly scampered off to university 
and got my master's degree um, in arts management at RMIT. Yep. Um, and from there, I was planning on actually getting out of games completely um, and working in sort of festivals and because I've done a lot of writers festivals and worked with a lot of those people. And I thought I wanted to get into like programming, like not programming, programming that a lot of the audience would know, but, um, you know, programs, programs events, those things, yeah. events and, and festivals and that kind of thing. Um, and I graduated and Mike was looking for a producer and he um, DM'd me on Twitter and said, I'd really like it if you applied for this because what you've just finished doing at university sounds like it's, you know, really informative for what we need. And I was like, hmm, all right. Why not? <laughs> and I was <laughs> I was thinking about leaving games. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Don't worry. I'll do that, Mike. Don't worry about it. And um, I didn't. And he was about to um, close the application, you know, window. And he said, I'm closing the application window tomorrow. I'd really like you to apply for this. And he kind of made it, you know, pretty clear. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If there ever was one, yeah. apply. Apply the gig for is yours. Yeah, he. I. I'm sure he did it to other people. I haven't. Yeah, but um, he interviewed me, and the interview went really well. And he brought me on board, and um, as as producer, and it was just a really great way to instantly put um, everything I'd learned at university straight into practice. Yeah, and to sort of try and. Um, make our own way of doing things. Uh, it was difficult because I was on two days a week at first and it's really hard to produce anything two days a week. We had a much larger team then than we do now. Um, we're sort of in an in-between stage <laughs> where we've, yep. we've shrunk back down again and we're going to sh- blow up again soon. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, a brilliant, it is a brilliant game and I love it so much. I love the taste. I love the look. I love everything about it. I love Mike. I found that out after a year of working yes. with him that I loved Mike, um, which was, you know, a whole conversation. <laughs> um, and now, you know, we're engaged. So that's nice. But um, and congratulations, th- by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I did not see that coming. That's for sure. Uh, and I don't think he did either. So that was funny. Um, but it, it's... Or like there's a really romantic sort of edge to the, <laughs> Please apply, please apply, please apply. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. No, he was very fair. He was very fair and balanced with that. Yeah, he interviewed some great people. Um, I'm, not su- I'm not suggesting that. It just didn't tell anyone else about the job, so it could only be a one-horse race. We apl- <laughs> like we went through the process, and yeah. Lena got it. And... <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, but um, <laughs> that would have been a good story, though. It would have been a cute story. Um, yeah, so it's it's been great to sort of work um with him, with someone who coming on at that process, I know I said I was sort of craving being there for the whole dev cycle. And I was for this one, like the game was already, you know, well underway when I came on board. And I think that's been really fun is to sort of take it from sort of teasing everything out of Mike's brain and putting it down and figuring out how we're going to get to what he wants it to be. You know, what is that dream game? What is everything he's dreamed about for six years, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's yeah. not necessarily aware, like Dead Static Drive's been in development. I don't mean this in the, like the in the nasty sense, but like it's been in development for a, for a long time at this point. And 
I mean, for anyone who kind of got a got an early look at it, whether it was you know out of Pax Australia or they they saw it at the, I think it was at one point years ago, maybe pre-pandemic. Now it was even like at an Xbox showcase, but this is coming to Game Pass and all those sorts of things. Yep. Like we, we've we've been seeing the game for a while, and it had such a distinctive look and feel about it then. And um, mm. I, I remember when when Mike came on the show, however long ago that was at this point, well, pre-pandemic, but um, and then bumping into him at Pax that same year and he you know, pull, pull, and grabbed me and dragged me over to, to kind of show me and talk through some of the little things that had changed between in the, the couple months since then and the mm. ideas that he had like this is a a really cool project it's one that's consistently evolving and and changing and refining and polishing and all those sort of things and as you're indicating we're clearly getting close to a point where things are going to ramp up again mm. um or escalate in kind of in terms of you know staff numbers and those sorts of things and yeah i won't i won't uh, speculate as to why that might be here because I don't want to put you in any sort of position whatsoever. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's this it's this wonderful endeavour that Mike kind of kicked off and, mm. yeah, you talk about kind of jumping in part of the way, but teasing that stuff out must be a, an awesome challenge at times. It's so much fun. Like, he, it, there's a wealth of information in that in that head of his like he's, he, i was gonna say beautiful head but i don't want to lay it on too thick you know it's a bit gross to listen to but he is beautiful and i love him so yeah um i i it's no so much here. <laughs> so much of it is um influenced by sort of the horror short stories and stuff that he grew up with and all the all the source material that he loves and you know films and and tv shows and all these things that it's just rich like wall to wall with references and if you don't really actively like get a chance to pin those down, you can lose them. They can just yep. sort of be intentions that never actually get done. So to sit down and actually sort of force him to to say, you know, what was it about that story you liked, and what you know what what part of that belongs in Dead Static Drive, and to sort of really pare it all back has been just the most fun. Um, I don't know any other time I've got to work like this. We've had to sort of invent our own production and design manifesto. We've yeah. sort of taken, cause we were both teachers, right? So we've learned a lot of techniques and a lot of things that people have been using and we've got a taste for them too. Cause we've been doing this for so long. Um, you know, he's been developing for like 15 years. I've been developing for about 10. So in that time you sort of hear about ways of people doing things that you sort of think might be good or you think they might be shit or you know like yeah. and you try them on and see if they fit and so we've sort of got this Frankenstein's monster of like different approaches now in the design of yes. things that um that make it really invigorating and it feels really unique because it's like we're like little bower birds picking up like all the blue plastic we can find right and it's sort of trying to build something out of it yeah just trying to build something out of it and I feel like it's um it's really freeing to work like that. I never thought I'd get a chance to, to work like that. I thought I would just have to be sort of taking the the rules from up on high, you know, <laughs> as to how it's going to be. And that's how my career always was. You know, you get the brief, you do the work, you hand in the work, and then you get the Move feedback. Move on to whatever's next. Exactly, yeah. And so this has but been... But you really... get to build those rules out. Exactly. This has been truly collaborative. And it's um it's been really fun to see what are the sort of the best ways to to get this project finished might look like. Um, and that's so much fun. Yeah. And you're still teasing some of those thoughts out of that quote unquote, big, beautiful brain now, or. There'll always or... be stuff. 
But we've got them all out now. Yeah, we've got them all out now. Mm. That's you good. wait. He'll come up with something randomly right near the end of development. Like, nope. oh, this. No, nope. Sorry, Mike. Nope. Too late. Deal nope. is done. It is fixed. <laughs> so, yep. what's it like? And I mean, we're 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 all both from the state of Victoria here, so we know what we've endured in terms of rules and those sorts of things over the last couple of years relating to the pandemic. What was mm. it like? Um, I mean, you're in a relationship with Mike. You're, but you're also working on this same creative endeavor together, and you're in the same household. There, what was what was it like trying to? I guess there's there's a balancing act with all of that because there is there's a relationship outside of the working one that mm. you know is, is just just as more important than 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 the game itself. Like, how do you kind of massage those things to find that balance? It's really like we're lucky i just think i don't think everyone's made for this (laughs) you know i don't think every relationship could do it um i think we we're very disciplined with it i think is you have to be right you have to stop work at a certain point and not pick it up again um that's harder with working from home um we're trying to find office space at the moment because i'm just sick of tripping over all of our cork boards and whiteboards and post-it notes and all that nonsense. But um, yeah, we're, we're trying to separate the physical spaces a bit more. Um, that would help. But I think Mike just has this really amazing work ethic where he's a very hard worker. He puts his nose down and he can work solidly for ages. But when it's family time, that's it. Like, yeah. you know, or, or, if, or if, you know, his child is sick or if I'm sick or, you know, it's like, not family first, boom. Like, he, you know, he's just got he's just really good at it. He's got a really good labor hygiene. Um, and he's, he's good at what he does. He's got his heart in the right space, the right space. And I think that goes a long way. Sounds really overly simplified, <laughs> but I think, um, there's some of these things can be quite simple at the end of the day. Yeah. Like but there's, there's, it's, there's a core tenant that someone kind of, or, you know, a philosophy that someone lives by. And then that kind of really opens up into so many other important other areas as well but like it's it's that core that's really the most important Mm, yeah and like it's mm, it's it's got to be flexible in both directions as well so you know you can't say we're not going to talk about work at all on this date or whatever you know because what if you know someone walks past who looks like david lynch you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> you know, or something. And we're like, oh my God. You have to at that point. You've got to. Yeah, it's a sign. You know, that kind of, to. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be things that pop up in your everyday life that inspire you creatively or professionally or, yeah. um, you know, and you have to sort of be ready to take those in. So there is a blurring of the lines there. Um, but I think when we're both on equal footing with the design and equal footing with the narrative and equal footing with, um, how much we know and love this game. Yep. Um, it's really easy to sort of know when to turn off and know um, there's no sort of power dynamic there that might make that difficult. That's fantastic. And I guess like there, there is that challenge of, you know, the pandemic and what that does. But yeah, if, you, if you've got really deeply instilled processes that you kind of follow, then it's pretty, yeah, easy enough to down tools and go, well, that's just on tomorrow's list. Yeah. We'll just address yeah. it then. Pretty much it. And like children are very, you know, we have three of them together. So not together, like together, there are three. Yeah, yeah combined. <laughs> um, you know, which it feels like there's 50, you know, sometimes. But um, children are very good at, at making you 
stop and and live in the present. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, learned learned that or learning that continually every single day. And uh, yep. oh, they're a gift. This, regardless, though. Of course, they're perfect in every way. <laughs> on, like, still focused on on dead static drive and and the the process that you've kind of both been going through in terms of the development and obviously everyone else who's kind of been a part of it as well. Mm. There is a lot of hype that follows this game still. Yeah. I still see it pop up. There's a lot of, uh, and I'm obviously looking at it from the outside. You know, there's, there's external buzz. People presumably asking, I'm sure there's tweets every single day, either to you or to Mike or to the account or whatever it happens to be that, you know, where is it? Where's it at? And again, because we, we have seen things like the, the game pass showing and it's been at PAXs and those sorts of things over the years. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you manage that? How do you try and pass through that? How do you respond to people who are, I mean, the ones who are badgering and being horrendous, you, they're probably a bit easier to kind of put up the stone wall and ignore somehow. But, you know, even the ones who are really being courteous about it, like how do you how do you kind of manage that? And I guess it's I guess it's a problem that we've kind of seen a certain other high-profile Australian develop, independent developer see and then cop again off the back of the Xbox showing in the last few days that Team Cherry and everything going on with Hollow Knight there. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd be getting harassed every day, I'm sure. Um, but what what is it like when you've you know, the, the game has taken a while, and again, not in that sort of nasty sort of sense. Like this is this is what it takes to make the best project possible. But you know, there, there's there's outsiders who don't understand what that process has been like, and so they they're asking the question, you know, where's it at? How's it going? How do you how do you try and navigate that? I try and be as gracious as possible because, despite my proclivities for being a lippy bitch, as we said before. Um, <laughs> Because they are excited about it, time to and, drink. and they are <laughs> sorry. I just <laughs> that on the microphone. Um, like they are excited for it. They do want to see it. Um, it. Comes from a good place. It often comes from a good place. Most of yeah. the time, it comes from a good place. Sometimes it sort of is verging on entitled, um, and that stuff's yeah. really easy for me to ignore because I just kind of go, "Oh, you're just unreasonable. <laughs> what you're yeah. doing is unreasonable, and that's okay." And sometimes, like they, they could be like. 12 you know like they could yeah. be a child and they don't know that that's rude or you know yeah, they don't have that skill set yet yeah i can't really like start flinging f-bombs at them and you know telling them how how misogynist and entitled they are and like start lecturing them because like they could literally be 12 so you know i try and i try and um treat everyone like they're 14 in some ways when when i don't like how they're being but it's it's Mostly it's not that bad. We've got our Discord server has like our diehard fans in it and they're lovely. Um, there's other places on the internet that are less lovely, but they're not really my business, you know? I don't really mind too much. Um, you can switch off to them a bit easier. Yeah, yeah. I'm not responsible for them as much. So I feel like there's just a wider misconception of what it takes to make a game. People don't realize how hard oh, it sure. is. And because our game is so beautiful, people think it's like double a and there's 30 people working on it you know and they're like where is it where is it it's like mate there's two of us right now <laughs> like, still, you know? still shoestring and we're still just trying to make ends meet and yeah. get a game out there at the same time like yeah. yeah so i think there's 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 just a wider problem with people thinking they know how games are made that it, and it's yeah. so wrong like saying you know you know complaining about people reusing assets and like it's some sort oh. of bad thing and like they just yeah just like a fundamental lack of understanding of how games are made um most of the complaints that are unreasonable 
smell like that, me. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have that God of War repeated assets thing or puddles or any of that sort of petty rubbish that we see on the internet. Yeah, and it just it just reeks of someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it has been a while in development, and if people are frustrated, that's okay too. You know, like I'm sure Mike's more frustrated than anyone that it's taken this long. You know, but it's there's a pandemic has slowed things down a lot. Um, and it's just, they just take time. We want to, we don't want to put out a shitty game. We want to put out yeah. something that we're proud of and, and we have really good taste. That takes ages. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, like anything, you know, if, if, if you've got a dream there that you want to bring to fruition, then you want to bring it out in its best possible form. And sometimes these things take time. And yes, obviously a, a pandemic adds an extra layer of complexity to it and, and probably slows a few things down. But yeah. I mean, yeah, just. So those on the internet, like just just dial back. You'll get it. <laughs> Most quote, of them unquote, are fine. It's ready. Yeah. The only time yeah. that people have been really aggro is, you know, it's 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 very very few and far between. Um, most of the time, it's our mates going, oh, "We're really coming out," you know. Oh, they're trying to stir you up. <laughs> and they know better. They, you know, they're yeah. the ones that make me mad. But um, no, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's not just a quick forehand, and that's it. Job done. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as much of a problem as you might think. It's um, most glad to hear that. Most of the time, I try and just remember that they're really excited about this thing we're making, and so am I. I just say that back to them most of the time. It's um, I can't wait either. Like I'm so excited too, you know. And if we get on the same footing, they're less likely to be aggro as well. Yeah, mm. that, that that's a fantastic way to look at it. Mm. Um, now, obviously, as as I said, I won't wade into kind of what is to come next for it. I won't I won't put you in that sort of position. Um, but yeah, I guess speaking purely from my own experience, like a bit, a bit like some of those fans. Like I'm incredibly excited for the game. It it looks fantastic, and I'm really excited for the next time that we the the masses get a get an opportunity to have a look at it because there's so much promise and potential in what you and Mike and the te- the you know those who've been involved at various different stages have have put together so far that I don't know. It's it's got a pretty good feeling about it <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to share it with everyone that's for sure um we showed it uh a demo at gdc this year yeah um, in person over in san francisco and that was the first time in like two and a half years that we'd got to show the game or oh, two years i think it would have been yeah pax 19 would have been the yeah, last 19 time. would have been the last time mm-hmm. um and was there anxiety around that? Because, like, we've kind of, for whatever bit of phrase, we've we've been dark for a few years now, and like, there's obviously growth and change that's occurred to the game, and now it's it's popping back up again for the first time. Do you do you worry that oh people are not going to take to this in the way that they once did? No, no, not at all. We were like, is there a supreme confidence? Gagging for it, like we we couldn't wait to get awesome. it. Awesome, um, especially GDC because it's it's devs. You know, it's yeah. not necess- It's not like a PAX or a, you know, a, a, a consumer-facing thing. thing. So the feedback's really good, like you right. know, in general, because they're devs, so they know how how you did it, you know, or they know, you know, what was a hitch and what was, you know, supposed to be there and what wasn't, and like, um, the feedback they'd give or they'd see that something was hard to do and they'd like react to it, and you don't get that yeah. stuff on the show floor at a consumer convention. Um, so that was really fun. Um, to get people excited about the game again and to hear good feedback and to see people saying nice things. And um, that was that was addictive. Mike was like walking on sunshine for like two weeks after that. Like he was just, he needs that. He needs, he needs to show his game as part of his process for sure. 
Yeah. Well, feel free, either of you, to just send something over my way to yeah. point. I promise I'll keep it to myself. Um, we're not allowed, unfortunately. No, we yeah. can't do anything like that. But we can um, show it publicly. Got to shoot my shot. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so as as we start to wind things down, because again, there's there's we're limited to what we can and can't say about the project itself. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll dance around that one for now, and we'll look forward <laughs> to whenever the whenever the, whenever the game next surfaces. Is there anyone out there that really inspires you in the way you go about your work, whether it's someone that you've worked alongside, um, that you look at from afar? Oh, my God. Someone other than Mike, because I'm sure, he, like, again, yeah, as we talk about teasing the stuff out of that brain, I'm sure that's pretty inspiring, some of the ideas that come out. He is, yeah, he is. That's a given. But, um, yeah, God, there's so many. I'm so lucky to have access to such giant brains around me. Um I'm trying to think on the different axes of which I find inspiration, but um, Richard Lemachand, um is just the nicest man on the planet. I think it's like like that ever existed ever. Like out of all of the people in the entire world, um, that's he's a big smart. proclamation. He's smart. He's generous. He knows his stuff. Um, you know, he's just this great force for good in the world. Um, and I did a GDC talk with him this year. I was lucky enough to share a stage with him and to go through the process of doing that with him. And it was just amazing. And this, his book, a playful production process has been really informative um, yep. to us. And I think is a, a must have for anyone who's in charge of their own production cycle, um, whether that's indie, you know, or producers at, at high levels or whatever. Um it's the most generous book I've come across in terms of laying everything out, simply not wasting your time, having evidence to back things up, not just a theory, but like, you know, multiple ship titles of, you know, have used this form and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, here's the proof in the pudding. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, I just feel like he even like, he, he made Google templates, Google sheets as templates for the, the, um, spreadsheets he's asking you to make <laughs> like yeah, right. you make like he's gone above and beyond and he's just a huge inspiration and he's always got time for people um and he's a yeah he's brilliant um god Cara Ellison impresses me every day with her giant brain um I just have these moments of like where my brain sort of does a dial tone when she says something really smart and it just goes <laughs> And like I need a minute, and then I get ask her to repeat. Let me herself. Digest all that. Yeah, I have to repeat. Ask her to repeat herself, and she's like, "Ah, oh, keep up." You know, uh, she's got a brilliant brain uh, for narrative and for story, and for like player insight too. She's yeah. um, really got a knack for that. Um, in terms of formal, like direct inspirations on our work, um, Jason Vandenberg's story stack is crucial to our work. Um, and Zach McClendon's big board technique that he used for Psychonauts 2 yes, Bioshock as well, I think, um, Bioshock 2, uh, that was like so useful for us because like I said before, Mike had such a strong idea of what he wanted this game to be before I came on board that we had to nail it all down and make it really on purpose and really deliberate. Um, and that big board technique um, was the perfect way to sort of tease everything down and pin it down and make sure um, that everything was was there. Hmm. Does Mike have this moment where he's oh, it's happening again. She's 
nailing me to the wall here so and extracting all those thoughts like, <laughs> no no one of those really clearly identifiable moments or mike we're sitting you down now and it's time to just spill the beans on everything you're thinking and let me take these notes no it's pretty much just like literally like make, make him sit down like extracting him from the engine for a minute and going we're doing this work now um that makes it sound like it's against his will it's not he's very on board with this process and, and for the betterment of the project he knows he loves the big board technique for that reason because you know if you're keeping everything in your brain um you're spinning eight plates at once yeah. you know and you're gonna drop one something's gonna fall you have to get it out of your brain and put it down somewhere or it's just not it's not healthy like it's probably terrible yeah. for your cardiovascular health and all that like just sort of trying to keep all these things in your head all the time um so he felt it quite liberating Oh, good. Have it all, yeah, have it all dragged out, I think. Not that I want to speak for him, but, you know, that's what he said to me. Um, and I know him pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, that anyone who sort of promises us more clarity and more guardrails to follow, I think, is what we've been drawn to um, with those sorts of inspirations. And I think, yeah, Richard, Jason, Zach, uh, Cara, Susan O'Connor, the writer, she's amazing. Um, I did one of her masterclasses a few years back. Um, she worked on Far Cry and Bioshock and a bunch of other things that I'm starting to forget. But <laughs> she's she's lots a, of incredible works, though. Yeah, she's a wonderful writer, and she's um, she's really good at sort of teaching you where design and narrative overlap. Yep. Um, which has been really the the blessing that this project has given me and has given this project's given me many blessings, but um, sort of being in the room for that design stuff and being contributing to the design um, so strongly has been something I've not had to do, not, not been able to do, not been afforded before. Um, and she sort of taught me how important that collaboration is um and yeah i'm inspired every day though i'm inspired by like heaps of stuff <laughs> like heaps and heaps of stuff inspires me I, I would find inspiration in a in an oily rag if you asked me to um because that's just how i move through the world but that's a good way to be though the most, yeah they're the most formative ones i think um to me as a practitioner apart from my you know wonderful friends who are also very intelligent and smart and some of those people i mentioned are my friends because i'm lucky and my life is dope and i do dope shit as we say a lot here <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's, yeah. it's it's a real luxury to have like really incredible people around you as well that mm. have got these incredible experiences and are just great team members or teammates or just friends that you can kind of bounce ideas off yeah and that yeah. applies to obviously any industry but in a creative one that's even better right it is, yeah. And, you know, friends that aren't afraid to tell you when you've got it wrong. You know, yeah. friends that aren't afraid to say, your taste is pretty good and this isn't up to snuff, you know? And you go, oh, ow, okay, fine. Let's just not it make stings at first. for a while. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, no, no, I can take feedback. But, um, yeah, having sort of the opportunity to be inspired by the people closest to you, I think, is a, is a real skill hard to do yeah yeah but it's worth and it I, I guess maybe on that note 
have there been any particularly valuable lessons that you've picked up along the way or particularly important experience that you've had through through your work in this scene that's I guess stuck with you Ooh. that you've put on the big board and that kind of helps guide some of your own work um yeah there's no way to answer that without sounding like a wanker but um <laughs> but here I go um I think but I'll give it my best go I'll give it a shot um I think Treat people the way you like to be treated. And it's really boring. Answer. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. But it's, you know. Teaching my kids that at the moment. It's a good quality to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think longevity in this industry is only possible if you're not like a raging anger beacon, right? Yeah. Like you can't you can't um maintain any kind of collegiate attitudes if you can't collaborate um and i feel like i was an only child i was pretty rambunctious little you know kid who had some pretty big ideas about what she wanted to do and i wasn't gonna let anyone stop me because you know that's what we teach girl girls but not women right like the minute they're they're women that we go oh no sit down shut up like you know and so i think I think I sort of had whiplash from that experience from being like the little Hermione Granger who could do anything she wanted to then being told, actually, no, there's heaps of rules that you need to get up to yeah. speed on. Um, then through, through game dev of all places, um, I think I realized which ones of those I had to listen to and which ones I didn't. Yeah. Um, and sort of, how amassing my people amassing myself with good people is your way through anything um, absolutely yeah whereas i think i was pretty sensitive and susceptible to that individualistic message at a young age of like yeah. you can do anything and you just like screw anyone who gets in your way and it's like mm, actually no <laughs> that's not gonna work yeah <laughs> you'll just have like lots of burnt bridges behind you and not much ahead of you so um i think i think the biggest lesson is is to collaborate with an open heart, like that whole clear eye, clear, what is it? <laughs> clear eyes, full heart can't lose kind of attitude. Oh yeah, yeah. Of being like, you know, um, we're all going to try our best, and and we're going to get through this, and we're all going to be better for it. That kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of what the final product is, you're coming out of it or ret- continuing to be a good person throughout. It's not a bad. Yeah. Not well, a bad philosophy to take into anything, really. Yeah, just like trying. Like, just trying yeah. is good, you know. If you can't do it, all right. <laughs> but, like, give it a crack, you know. Try your best and don't be an asshole along the way. Yeah, you get where you get and don't get upset. That's another thing you're probably telling your small children at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I certainly won't be using the asshole line. Yours no, is no. more eloquent than what I was, so <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and a couple lighter ones as we wrap things up. If you can be credited for any game at all, in any capacity, it can be as simple as special thanks if that's what you wish. What game would you have loved to have been involved in? Oh. Oh, shit. That's a really fun one. Um, Is it going right back to square one and we're talking Commander Keen? Or are we, I mean, Bioshock got mentioned a few times recently. Are we going down that path? Is it something you've, it's maybe someone you know has worked on? You're like, oh, jeez, wish I could have done that with you. Oh, my God. There's so many. I think you I don't would... have to. You don't have to keep it to just one. Just to be clear, <laughs> it doesn't have to be just one. I would have loved 
who have been involved in Firewatch. Oh, yep. Um, I would have specifically, if I can pick a role even, I would have loved to have been in the voiceover um, directing. Yep. I've never got, you know, much experience with that. um, And I feel like it would inform my writing to know how things are read and performed. Um, Yeah. It would be really fun. Even now I'm doing it in a way of like, and that would help my career. (laughs) Make me a more well-rounded practitioner. Um, But yeah, I just, I love the game as well. I think it's wonderful um, and beautiful as well. Oh God, that's such a hard one. Especially given, uh, I'm still going to say gone home despite everything that's, you know, happened. Yes, in, uh, no, yeah. I, but I understand where you're coming from in terms of looking at it as a piece of work and the the, mm-hmm. the parts in terms of the game itself as opposed to the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I still understand that and appreciate that perspective as well. Yeah. Um, and who knows, if you were there, maybe some of these things wouldn't have played out. Oh, I doubt that very much. That I don't think I would have been able to stop anything, but um, yeah. It, we can dream. It was... Yeah, well, this is a completely hypothetical scenario. So exactly. You, of course, of course. You would have stomped that down within the first day. That's, That's it. So sure. problem solved. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think... Um, I think. I will not plaster that across the internet anywhere in any way, shape or form. No, right? thank so you. If, if Lena was there, no. never would have happened. No, it would have probably been the same or worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think... I think... Uh, Psychonauts as well. I, after looking at how the big board for Psychonauts looked like and one of their design values and their cultural values being not stigmatizing mental illness at any point, like one of their yep. rules that they had, um, that would have been a really fun design room to be a part of because anytime you even got close to that, you could just point to the big board and be like, ah, ah that's getting too close to this. Can't yeah, do one it. One of our core tenants. Yeah, so um, I, I find that kind of those guardrails really comforting. So it would have been great to see that in action. I've and speaking about big brains, surely it would have been just fascinating to see how, like, how does that Tim Schafer brain work? Yeah, exactly. what is going on there? Yeah. How does how does how do we get to this point? Well, yeah, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to have been in, involved in Costume Quest as well. I love yeah. Costume Quest. Very very yeah. fun game that one. Yeah, I think that would have been um, really fun to be on the copy team there. Fantastic choices. Well, another curly one for you then. If you could go back and replay a game, strike it from your memory and get to experience it again, going cold, no context, what game would you desperately love to have just been able to re-experience again? I'd love to do that again. Portal. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm. I was... I vividly remember when it went from this fun little rat in a maze yes, situation small to, scale thing. to realizing that there was shit in the walls and you know that this is a bigger thing it was like 3 a.m i'd been playing for hours i was by myself it was freezing cold it was all dark and i just kept going oh shit oh shit <laughs> oh and i just like was losing my mind and um just as a really like clean example of sort of that um, two act structure where there's a significant shift in tone and it will never be the same again. Um, you only kind of get one of those. And yeah. I, I think they did it expertly. It was just, yeah, I would love to experience that again. 
No, that's a fantastic choice. Portal's an incredible game, so don't blame you in the slightest. And I certainly do remember the old shit moments. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you realised it wasn't what you thought the game was at all, it was just thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lena, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far and the the many twists and turns. And and as I mentioned before, some of the incredible things that you're doing in terms of giving back to the industry as well and and elevating others. It's it's really incredible. And I'm sure all of those people are incredibly appreciative. And I'm really appreciative for you coming on the show and, and sharing it all with me today and the listeners. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And you didn't have to gas me up so much, but thank you. <laughs> and, uh, well, then we'll just throw a curveball in there to just flatten things out a little bit. And Dead Static Drive is out next week. <laughs> no. no. No, it is not. <laughs> that is a rumor. <laughs> that is that is yeah. one that starts and dies in the space of 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> it, but, it, I mean, I guess if we get a little promotey for a sec, mm-hmm. it's on the way. Please be excited. Yes. The game, the last I saw it, is looking fantastic. And if you're not aware of Dead Static Drive, then you should absolutely go and look it up a bit. Yeah, you can wishlist on Steam. You can follow on Twitter. You can do all those things. We've got a Discord as well with other people and they yep. share fan art in there. It's really fun. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And as you said before, they're really fantastic people apparently. So make sure to yeah jump in the Discord too. Yeah, they're lovely. And for you personally, if people want to reach out, see what you're up to, not be an arsehole to you in any way, shape, or form, but be the right sort of person on the internet. Where should people be best to go? Um, the tweets are bad, but you can find me on Lena Van D on Twitter. Um, I'm not on Facebook anymore. I deleted it, and I feel great. Um, but De- I um, desperately want to do that, and then I keep like I haven't got an Oculus yet, but or what are they calling it? A Meta VR now, whatever. <laughs> but like, I believe I have to have an account for that so you it just it exists account, but it doesn't have to be your account it doesn't have to be paul it can be you know that's a good point it could be pete or paula i need to the last couple chats that i still have going there and it's really just for messenger these days i need to kill them yep come across to the dark side let's go to another platform you signal yep there you go yeah. liberate thyself but yeah uh twitter is probably the best place to get me at the moment or the dead static drive twitter account as well i'm often on there as well well that's fantastic and people make sure to absolutely do that as i said lena thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far i'm incredibly appreciative as well thank you so much and listeners as always thank you much for listening i'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Lena's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.